Today we continue our series in the book of Genesis uh, as we continue going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 34. So if you have a Bible there with you, turn to Genesis chapter 34. Today, later on in the day, I'll be preaching in the Finnish service and normally I have preached always different, sometimes I do the same sermon, but normally different sermons in both. As will be today, I'll be preaching from Genesis chapter 4 in the Finnish service, which I did in the English service, you know, two years ago or something. The reason I'm mentioning that is that I have two different sermons prepared, two different things that I'm going to be preaching on. But it struck me also that there's one thing that is common with both of these. If you think about there in Genesis 4, what I'll be preaching later, and then Genesis 34 here today. And that relates also to this question that... Probably every Christian parent thinks about or should think about, but not just even Christian parents, uh, not just parents, but people in general, uh, Christians. But should Christian parents read or teach their children about things such as cold-blooded murder massacre, rape, things like that. Examples of horrific, evil actions. Should Christian parents, at any point, and if you think about, okay, a child, like in our society, okay, 18 is considered then the child is like fully grown and maybe moves out, but let's say 18. Sometime in between from 1 to 18, <laughs> at some point, and, and, I'm not, and, and according to the parents' wisdom, but should the parents expose their children in the form of reading or teaching them and to speak about them of things such as, again, cold-blooded murder, rape, and massacre? I believe yes. I believe yes. Because God has no problem in speaking about those things and teaching His people about them. I believe Christian parents are in a sense commanded to teach their children at some point about them. They are to use wisdom and I'm not saying that, you know, depending on the age of the child and so forth. But Christian parents should at some point, expose them, their children, to these concepts and teach them so that they do not come completely out of the blue and they've been living in this kind of little sheltered bubble where they think that there is no such things because we live in a world that is sin-cursed and wicked and evil and these things do happen. And these things happened in biblical history and God thought it is important for us to have records of these kind of events. 
In Genesis chapter 4, which I'll be preaching in a finished service, not today here, but just a reminder, you see the first ever murder. It's cold-blooded, premeditated murder where the first two brothers, Cain, kills his brother Abel. It's a wicked, horrible, evil, evil thing that he does. But God desires for us to know about it. So if you could read your child, the Bible, I could read my children my Bible, you get to Genesis 4, you're going to have to explain and read it. Then when you get to Genesis 34, where, where we are today, we see an example of, we see many wrong things here, but relating to a specialist, where we see rape, we see deception, we see premeditated, cold-blooded murder on a massacre level. A whole city. We also see how the father of this family, Jacob, I believe, fails in miserable ways. And we see how his parenting, he as a father, has affected his children. So, in some ways, I understand that sometimes Christian parents, and I relate to it, okay, we want to we do want to shelter our children from all the corruption and all the, the glorification of evil and wicked things which our society is full of. Yes, there's a sheltering and a wisdom and, and, uh, and uh, there's certain things that should never be seen, especially like even movies and gruesome things. And there's what, e- evil and wicked things. I'm not saying to just dump all kind of evil on yourself or your children. No. But to some degree, we have to. We have to and we need to. That passage which Mark uh, read in the beginning of the service, our call to worship is very appropriate. Uh, I wasn't planning on this as such, but it just struck me there. Oh, you were were planning. Well, that's good. Uh, Psalm 78. I won't read it the whole thing again, but just a reminder of there that we should teach our children, we teach the great works of God, but notice what it says there also, we teach them uh, everything, that, that the biblical history and such, and part of that is, there in verse 8 of Psalm 78, it says, and that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Bible is not some kind of fuzzy little storybook that has just some, some like nice, you know, motivating stories about great heroes who have no uh, faults. In fact, all of the heroes, even the best of the heroes as we've been seeing, have serious shortcomings. The only hero, the true hero of heroes, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the only one without any sin, without any wickedness. But he also does things that some Christian parents would be uneasy with. He uses strong language against false teachers. He cleanses his temple with a whip. And, and there's a certain kind of like uh, righteous anger in him. So, it is important for us as adults to understand these things. And even the things, especially some of the things in the Old Testament, you're like... This is like R-rated stuff, you know. If you what is it like in, in, in a movie? Like it's like is this is for, like what just happened here? And that's the point. That's the point. Wicked and evil things that humans are capable of. 
and doing. And we should learn from the good examples, which there are much, but also we should learn from the warnings. And we should not, in that sense either, wrongly try and shelter our children too long. Again, use discernment whenever it's appropriate. And when they're older, explain things more as such, of course, of course. But do teach your children, not just about the good and positives, but teach them about the realities of sin and a dark world that we live in. So that the first time they're exposed to these kind of things is not by a society that celebrates them and, and, and such, but that they would know about them in their right context. So, with that said, let me read Genesis 34. Genesis 34 The Word of God reads, God wanted us to know this gruesome detail. And I joked, by the way, to Alison, because Alison, uh, my wife, is teaching the Sunday school uh, here. And it wasn't planned as such, but it just happens to be that in the Sunday school curriculum, they're going through the same things with Joseph and and Jacob and so forth. And uh, last Sunday, it was basically exactly the same topic, wasn't Esau and Jacob, the reconciliation. So I kind of yesterday, as I saw, she was looking at the Sunday school material. So you're going to talk about the rape of Dinah, (laughs) the massacre of the city? Uh, Of course not. They're skipping over that in the Sunday school. I understand that, of course. And uh, yes. So the point is not that you have to in every context. But this is the general uh, sermon here for everyone. Uh, And uh, we're not skipping any parts uh, of the word of God. God included this and we have much to learn from this, even this dark period. And there are darker things even in the Old Testament that happen. But this is also one of them. Genesis 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, He seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. 
Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem and the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob... Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field. All their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought 
trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Parasites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? That's Genesis 34. And that ends also that this scene, this uh, what happened and the discussions that happened therein. Well, what do we have to learn from this? First of all, obviously, this is just historical reality. This really happened, part of the history of Israel. The sons of Jacob are in the 12, become the 12 tribes of Israel, from which, from Judah, comes the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the people that God had called to Himself, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This really happened. But, not, but there's also many things that happened in real biblical history that God hasn't wanted us to... It's not important for us to know all the details. So the things that He has given to us again are all there for a reason. And I believe there's a lot for us to learn from this. And one of the key things that I believe that kind of is on a quick reading, without stopping to think and study and concern, think, think about this, might kind of, we might not think about it as we should, but I think one of the main points here, and also some of the other things later that happen, even with Joseph and such, but one of the main things we see in the life of Jacob, we see his faithfulness, yes, and God, uh, God has made his covenant with him, and we see good things in Jacob's life as well. But we see a lot of bad things. And here in this chapter, I think one of the things that we see is that how the actions of a father is seen in the actions of his children. How the actions of a father, his, act, his actual actions and also his lack of action, his uh, passivity is seen in his own children. There's just this general principle as such that children often take one step forward, so to say, of what their parents did, whether in, whether in good or in bad. Obviously, every parent kind of wishes, like, I'm laying certain foundation and I hope you, son or daughter, you will go further and that you, you, know, you, you will learn from all that and kind of stand on my shoulders and go even further and do better than I was ever able to do. That. So in good things, children can take it forward. But often, then also, sadly, the things that parents do wrong and evil and the children learn and see, even though the parents are not teaching the children, but they learn, they see, they see what the mother and father has done, what they haven't done, and they learn from that, and they take it a step further. So much so that the father, for example, is shocked by what the children do. But was, the, was it very much different than what the father had done? That's what we'll see here. Well, 
The chapter begins by mentioning Dinah. Dinah is again, Dinah has been mentioned once before. Uh, so uh, Jacob had 12, uh, well at this point 11 sons, the 12th one isn't yet born. But 11 sons and then Dinah is mentioned. There could have been maybe then other uh, girls also born, but Dinah is at least mentioned earlier and here she's mentioned again. And uh, notice it says, now Dinah, the daughter of who? Who is Dinah the daughter of? Dinah is the daughter of Jacob, of course. And Jacob is the key figure. But what does the text say? Dinah the daughter of Leah. Why is that important that it says here, Dinah the daughter of Leah? And later on in this chapter, she's described, for example, in uh, verse 7, there at the end, Jacob's daughter, or our sister, or Jacob, you know, Jacob's child. So the point is not that Dinah is always referred to as Leah's daughter. She's Jacob's daughter, of course, and that's kind of her main uh, uh, significance, because Jacob is the key figure in the story. He's He's the leader of this family. So why, does, why are we told here right at the beginning, kind of reminded that Dinah is the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob? I think it's very key and very important, very strategic. First of all, Leah, as we've seen uh, the, the story then, Leah is the woman who becomes Jacob's kind of second wife as he's tricked by Laban. He's tricked because he, Jacob himself, had tricked and lied. Now he's being lied to. Now he has an extra wife, which he didn't really want. He wanted Rachel, but now he has Rachel's uh, uh, sister, Leah, also. And that causes a lot of marriage problems. And there's even these servants and basically has four wives. Uh, But... He prefers that one because that's the one he only wanted. What did we see in the last chapter as we, we've been going through Genesis here? What did we see? One of the things that Jacob did when he met Esau, he lined up his household in order of basically preference. And he put the servants with their children, then Leah with Leah's children. And then the one that was safest, like further away from Esau and the enemies was Rachel and uh, Joseph. He showed favoritism. And one of the examples there, Leah has been kind of put to the side. And Leah has been suffering. We've seen all that in previous chapters. So Leah is the deserted wife. The one who suffers unjustly. She had her sins, yes, of course. But anyway, she's being kind of put to the side. Dinah is her daughter, not Rachel's daughter. So not the favorite wife of Jacob, not the favorite children. This is Jacob's sin, his favoritism. They're all his children. And, but that's part of what happens. It is a messed up family with many wives. But it's the daughter of Leah. This is key to see then. And who are, who are other, do- uh, other children of Leah? The children might know because they've been uh, learning in the Sunday school. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Four brothers. Who are the brothers who go on a massacre? Simeon and Levi. 
they're not just any of the sons of Jacob. They're the like immediate. They're they're Leah's sons. So they have a special love for Dinah, and they have a special special love toward their mother Leah. This is key to understand how they act and and what happens. <clears throat> okay, neglected Leah. And her daughter Dinah is now old enough. Uh, she's called a young uh, woman. And it's mentioned here that she went out to see the women of the land. Well, then it's kind of speculation. What is she doing exactly and such? Uh, we don't know. But she, she went out to see the other women of the land. That the pagans and Shechem and such. And it's, it's very likely that part of this was maybe a little bit kind of a rebellion. A little bit like a young girl kind of like, I want to go to the evening to, with the other girls and do things that might not... Or like, I, I'm not going to do anything evil, but I want to go there. Maybe, maybe even the parents, would, it, it's not wise for you to go there. And there's pe- things happen there and such. And you shouldn't really go unattended and, you know, kind of dangerous thing and those... The people of Shechem, they, they do things, you know, and things might happen. So it's very likely that she kind of went without uh, uh, the, the, even the knowledge uh, of, of Jacob or, or the brothers and such. But she went out to see the women of the land. Whether it was purely innocent and interesting, to, she wanted some, you know, girl friends to hang around with, not just all her brothers, which that would be understandable, probably also interests. <clears throat> but she goes. And then what happens there? Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the lands. This is the, the, great, the greatest person around in that area. As he, we see, he's the most honored one of Hamor's uh, uh, household. And we see that Jacob has met Hamor uh, earlier, he's bought a piece of land from him, and maybe even, maybe even Dinah has seen some of these, and maybe whatever friends, and now she's going to see whatever. Again, somehow she knows that these people are there, and she goes. They are living near enough this uh, city uh, where there's also evil things that happen. And we're told that Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite. It's interesting. It's mentioned he's a Hivite. Why is this kind of significant? Well, who are the Hivites? Who are the Hivites? Let me just remind you, uh, earlier in the book of Genesis, chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10, all people on the earth, even still today, we're from different nationalities, different shades of skin color, language, or home country, whatever. We're all descendants of Noah, and before that then Adam, but in the global flood, everything else, all other uh, humans and animals, everything died except those on the ark, and from the ark came Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, and from these all the people of the earth are descendants. And one of those descendants then, we're told that Ham's son, Canaan, and Canaan had then children, and from Canaan came what was then referred to as different tribes. Verse, uh, so Genesis 10, verse 15, Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites. 
So the Hivites are descendants of Canaan, and Canaan is a descendant of Ham, the son of Noah. Why do I think this is significant? Well, what happened to Canaan? Earlier there in Genesis 9, Canaan was cursed because of Ham's sin, the whole thing with Ham, the son of Noah, uh, honor, uh, dishonoring and despising and humiliating his father Noah and the whole thing with the nakedness there. Noah is a state of shame and nakedness and uh, Ham does something, uh, something which we're not exactly sure what exactly in that sense happens, but it's evil and wicked and he's cursed because of it. But there's nakedness involved and Cain and specifically the son of Ham who seemed to follow in the footsteps of Ham and a wickedness, he's cursed in verse 25. And then Canaan's descendants are the Hivites. And now we have this Hivite who's essentially following in the footsteps of Canaan, who's following in the footsteps of Ham. Ham caused, he despised and humiliated his father Noah with his actions. I'm not saying that there was anything sexual that he did, but the idea that there was connected to nakedness and humiliation and despising someone. He certainly did that. He despised his father. Here we have Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hemite, who despises and humiliates the daughter of Jacob. And then falls in love with her and wants her to be his wife. But he, so the first thing he does, he saw her... He seized her, grabbed her for him, and you know, again, he's the prince of the land, how, where that then happened, and he lay with her and humiliated her. This is what we call in modern language rape. Rape. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved a young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So he took her, and now he's like, he's, you know, he starts off with raping and humiliating her, and then, but he, he's in. It's in love with her and spoke tender, speaks tenderly to her, tries to kind of uh, get, get her, get her uh, you know, not to hate him or anything like this, you know. And then he says to his father, he's obviously used to getting whatever he wants. He says, get this girl to be my wife. This is what happens. This rape. And now, then, then the rest... Uh, is relating to, well, how, how does Jacob, how do the brothers, how do they act regarding this news? Verse 5 tells us, now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah. Somehow news comes to Jacob, the father, the patriarch. Jacob, whose name has been changed to Israel. Jacob hears this news. Dinah is still there, as we see later. Dinah is, Dinah is not the one coming home. Dinah is there with, in Shechem's house. That's where Simeon and Levi go and get her later. But he hears that, hears that this has happened. Now, Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Notice here. We're not told exactly how Jacob re reacted. I'm not saying, I'm sure, but like, I, probably he was very angry. Probably he was this very disturbed. But notice we're not told that he was. We are told that the brothers were very indignant and, and angry. But Jacob 
but he seems to like, you know, he holds his peace until they come. And okay, I'm sure he's, he's angry, but he doesn't seem to be as angry and as uh, 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 sh- shaken up by the situation. And think again. Well, he's the one who prioritized Leah and including then Dinah. It's like, okay, as long as, long as it's not Rachel and Joseph. You know, okay, yeah, sad, but I wouldn't be as sad. If this would have been, if Dinah would have been the daughter of Rachel, I think we would have been told here that, that Jacob's reaction would have been much more uh, severe and stuff like that. Again, I'm sure, the uh, point is not, he, he loved I'm sure, Dinah and all that, but there seems to be a little bit of this complacency, a little bit of this passivity, and he held his peace until they come. Then, in the meantime, before the sons come back from the field, and again, it seems almost like he's just waiting for them to come from the field. We're not exactly told, but it doesn't seem like he is quickly get the sons. Now we're going to talk, and what are we going to do? He just seems to like take it a little bit more easy. In the meantime, Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Again, they met before Jacob was bought from uh, Hamor, this piece of land that they're living in. And then the sons of Jacob come back from the field. Somehow they found out. Somehow someone told them, whatever servant, and they come out. And it seems to be that they basically, they've hear, heard this, and they come, and then they're like, well, what on earth is he now doing here? The father of the one who has done this to our sister. And the, the one who has actually done it is there as well, as we see. So the sons of Jacob come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry. They're furious. Their reaction is told to us. They're angry, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Why are they angry? Because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. This is something that shouldn't be done. It's, it's wrong. And they're angry for it. So their anger and their indignation is completely justified and right. In fact, if they weren't angry, that would be a sin. And you see something, a sin like this, and yeah, there's righteous anger. There's righteous anger. Notice here it says, an outrageous thing in Israel. We think, of course, in Israel, the land of Israel. But again, what is Israel? Israel is just Jacob and he owns a little piece of land. Where it just shows here that the household of Jacob, the, the rule of Jacob is already beginning to be called Israel. Even though they, don't, they own just this little piece of land as such. But it's described as Israel. In Jacob's household, basically. This should not be done and so forth. Now, this Hammer ha- uh, uh, speaks. He speaks with them. Jacob seems to be there, at least at the beginning. At least he's there. But Hamor speaks with them, and he has this plan. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, this whole, yeah, my... There, notice there's nothing like, oh, I'm sorry what my son has done. Like how, there's just, oh, my son just loves your girl so much and please give her to be my wife. And not only that, let's make this deal that we, the Shechemites and the Israelites, we become one. Let's merge together and all that. That alone is a threat to the 
future of Israel as a nation. To have this pagan nation join and kind of intermarry and soon they're like Israel will essentially just disappear. Israel as, as like they'll be overcome with the paganism of, of the surrounding nations. That's part of the problem uh, in the Old Testament, obviously, like keeping Israel kind of separate uh, so that they're not polluted by all, all around them. But anyway, he goes, he has this whole speak, oh, you can land with us, as I already read this. Let, let, you know, let's do this. And then Shechem speaks, he's there, oh, you know, I'm willing to pay whatever, you know, and he again has a lot of, you know, he could give, I'm sure, a laugh. Uh, so, in that sense, humanly speaking, he's like, oh, this would be a good deal, you know. And, you know, he seems to love her, never mind what he did in the beginning. And uh, just, Yeah, okay, let's, let's, let's make the deal. Uh, would have been, in some ways, uh, from a somewhat human point. And now verse 13 tells us, the sons of Jacob answered. Notice, the sons of Jacob it seems that Jacob has left the room. Jacob doesn't say anything after this. Until then, when he finds out what Simeon and Levi has done. This is what I'm saying. I think we have here an example of a father. First of all, a father who's suffering in his family because of his own foolish deception that he's in this situation, that he has multiple wives and, and his parental favoritism. And it seems he's lost a little bit grip of leading his family in a good way. And he's more concerned about what will happen, uh, you know, what will the others do to, against us. Then he seems to be expressing actual, you know, sorrow for, for, for Dinah and such. That seems to be a little bit the situation. And it seems that for whatever reason, again, I'm sure he's very angry about it and sad, and all that, but it seems he's not as angry as the brothers, and it seems that he just, maybe it's just, oh, it's too much to me. I'll, he leaves the room, he can't deal with it. Because the sons keep on now talking, and the sons make a plan, and it seems like Jacob didn't know the plan, because then Jacob, what on earth have you done? Jacob abdicate, he, he passively leads, leaves the leadership of his own household, and lets his sons do it. And then he complains what his sons did later on. The actions of a father affect the children, whether for good or for bad. And a father not taking the leadership and responsibility that is given to him by God will often also then you know, have disastrous consequences. And so the sons of Jacob answered to Shechem. So it's not Jacob, but the sons of Jacob. They answered to Shechem and his father Hamor, notice, deceitfully. After all, they're sons of Jacob. <laughs> Jacob the deceiver. Jacob the one who lied to his own father and even used God as a cover-up for his lie. As a reference to, you know, and has been suffering that. And, and, and be, he, he was then deceived by Laban and so forth. His sons follow in the footsteps of their father. Even Abraham then partially, not as bad as Jacob, uh, but then uh, uh, that lying and deception, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. And now 
the sons of Jacob following the, in the bad example of their father Jacob and they used deception. They used deception. They spoke deceitfully. Yes, they're angry because he had defiled their sister Dinah. So they have like good motivation. Even like Jacob had good motivation because he knew the covenant promise was given to him as the uh, younger, the older will serve the younger as we saw in the whole thing with Esau and Jacob and so forth. But they, instead of just flat out kind of making a plan, like, okay, there's an evil thing. How are we going to, what are we going to do? At the very least, we're going to pay them a visit, you know? And what will it, like, like, let's see, what are we going to do? Yeah, it would be sinful. It would be sinful for the sons of Jacob and Jacob himself just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever, Dinah has been raped, okay, whatever. Oh. The sons of Jacob answered deceitfully because they had defiled. Their sister has been defiled. Notice it's been mentioned many times, defiled. She's been humiliated. She's been defiled. And then they speak with their deception and they make this plan. Hopefully they had, a, you know, let's, let's do this. You know. the, the brothers made a plan, a deceptive plan, premeditated, planned out. Let's do this. And what do they do? They use... Something that God had given, something that is uh, sacred and given to Abraham as a sign of the covenant promises to Abraham and Abraham's descendants and the people of Israel, circumcision. It's a God-given uh, mark of the covenant. They take that and use it as a cover-up for their deceptive, premeditated plan of massacre what did their father Jacob do what did their father Jacob do the sons of Jacob have a good uh, in that sense motivation anger toward unjustness and to in, the, in that sense Jacob had good motivation he knew that God had promised the covenant uh, the promises to be his instead of Esau's Jacob resulted with deception with his mother's encouragement. The sons of Jacob do deception following the footsteps of their father. Jacob specifically used, notice there, like in Genesis 27, when Jacob lied to his father, not only that did he, did he lie and deceive his father, which is bad enough, but notice what Jacob said there as Isaac asked him in Genesis 27 <clears throat> verse, verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. So flat out lie. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Because Yahweh granted me success. Not only does he lie, he revokes the name of God as part of his deceptive lie. The sons of Jacob take a good thing, circumcision given for right, and say, let's use this religious symbol and kind of as a masquerade. And the point is that 
Then on the third day, we go and slaughter them. They say, have this, okay, let's do this plan. We're going to be one people. We're not going to be one people. Okay, you know, because you'll, you won't be alive after a while. But this is what they say. They lie to these uh, uh, Hamor and Shechem ungodly men, yes. But they lie. They lie. They don't go just on a straight up honest revenge. We'll come. You know, you fight against, we'll come. That would be much better. And again, certainly to some degree, you know, if you go and treat someone's daughter or someone's sister like that, yeah, you shouldn't be, you know, uh, you shouldn't be surprised if he's got brothers and they come knocking on your door and you are in a lot of trouble. And that's completely understandable. But they make this deceptive plan and so forth. Then Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem, they're fine. Okay, this is a good plan, good plan. We get this and not only that, but we, like, we become one and we become a better, bigger people group in that sense and we get their things. And because Shechem is the one who has basically almost all power in this, even over his father, his father just does whatever his son says here. He's the most honored of his father's house. They, okay, let's do it. And he's, okay, let's right away do it. Then they go to their city. Verse 20, so Hamor and his son Shechem go to the gate of the city and spoke to the men of their city. They go to the gate, the public kind of meeting place, a little bit like if you think, you know, the, the center square somewhere here is like public announcement. Oh, the, oh, the prince. The, the, okay, something important. And then he gives this announcement to all the men. We're not told how many exactly are there, whether it's, how many men did they massacre then later? Was it 400? Was it more? Was it less? Don't know. But considerable amount, not just a handful. Uh, we were told earlier that Esau had 400 men, you know. Uh, and, and uh, you know, so as, as he came, and so it's very likely then that this, second and they, 400, maybe even much more. Uh, but it's still big enough and a city. So they go and speak and all the, the leaders of them in the city then and all these people who need to know it and then others told others or whatever. But basically what happens then, and he gives this sales speech, you know, because you don't want to just do circumcision for no reason, especially as an adult man. It's like, yeah, it's like painful. You, so, so it's okay, we're going to do this. And the, the good thing is, not just that Shechem gets his wife, but, you know, we're going to get profits. We're going to get these animals and livestock and, we get, you know, we're going to have, the, they're going to give their daughters to us. We, you know, we're going to be greater. Okay, so it's worth it. Let's do it. And then that their ruler basically commands them to do this and then they're willing to do this. Verse 24 tells us, And all who went out to the gate of his city listened to Hamor, his son Shechem. They all obey this and they do it and then there's this obviously huge operation there and every male is circumcised all who went out of the gate of the city so now this city of Shechem uh, all the men have been circumcised and this was the plan of the sons of Jacob specifically Simeon and Levi the brothers of Dinah 
and they wait and they know what circumcision is and how it functions and how it affects the strength of a man. On the thir- verse 25, on the third day when they were sore. Now, apparently, again, they didn't go right away there. When there's been long, and it's very likely then that, okay, a fever might kick in, for example, infectious. So it's the third day, so you're, uh, it's not right away, but, you know, they, it seems very strategic here. And that, you obviously don't want to wait too long, because then they're recovered and they're back to strength. So it seems the weakest point when they're most likely, many of them, in fever and very weak in their body, in their houses, on the third day when they were sore, Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers. By the way, my second oldest son's name is Simeon. I did not call him based on this Simeon in that sense. There's a, very, there's a good and godly Simeon in the New Testament. That's the one I think of. Just as a side note, uh, Simeon, the one who uh, uh, met uh, Jesus uh, as the newborn child. Not that, yeah, anyway. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with calling your son Levi. Levi, obviously, the, the priests come from him and such. Uh, well, little side mention. Uh, Simeon and Levi, again, these are sons of Leah. Not only that they're, they're sons of Leah, and Dinah is specifically their brother. We don't know exactly why isn't Reuben and Judah involved in this. Uh, Well, it seems like all the brothers eventually are, but Simeon and Levi are the ones especially here. Why do Simeon and Levi do this horrible action? Dinosaurs, they took their swords and they came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. What they do is not justified. What Shechem did was evil and wrong. But this is way... This is like... You don't go and massacre a whole city based on this one action. They, they respond with like... This is way over the top. So they're justly angry. But what they do is unforgivable. But... Think again, what causes two of these sons of Jacob to do something like this? How are they so provoked to anger that they do this? I think a big part of the reason is their father, Jacob. I think these sons have been provoked to anger on such a scale, not just by the actions of Shechem, but by the in actions and actions of their father Jacob. Let me read to you a passage from the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verse 4. This is, Paul is giving instruction, he's first up with our wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives. Notice, love your wives, give your life down for the wives, and, and all that, about the husbands. And obviously you should have just one wife, and Jacob has many, and, and he's uh, neglecting Leah. 
Uh, notice then here, Ephesians 6 verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a very important principle for fathers. And this is like there's a multitude of applications. You know, there's many, many, many ways you can provoke your children to anger. By being too harsh or by being too passive or, or you know, there's, you could list, you know, you write a whole book of the different examples. The th- point is fathers can provoke their children to anger. And I would tell you, if you think, you want to know one of the best ways to provoke a child's Anger, if you want to provoke, if you're a father and you want to provoke your son's anger against you also, and just anger in general, the best way to cause anger, one of the best ways at least that I can think of to provoke anger in your children is by mistreating their mother. Mistreat their mother and the sons will be provoked to anger against you. And indirectly that will cause in them. I believe Simeon and Levi was like, okay, they love their father Jacob and they are in that sense submitting to him and all that. But deep down there is like, we've seen how you treat our mother. You've kind of despised her. She's neglected. And she's our mother. We saw how you put us in the not best line of defense. You were willing to give us up before Rachel and Joseph. We've seen how our mother has uh, suffered because of ultimately your deception and wrong things. And this has caused anger in them. And then it's like, and now our, now our sister Dinah has been raped, and you seem to be not, you know, okay, you're sad and all, but you don't seem to be doing anything. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it, and we're going to go and massacre this whole city. I believe this is part of what we see. The actions of Jacob and his failure as a father, is seen in the actions of his sons. The actions of his sons. And in some ways, Simeon and Levi, with all that this deception and wickedness, at least they did something. At least they did something. And also this whole thing, Jacob seems to have left the room and even, not only this whole thing with even Dinah, but the whole thing, if they, okay, let's circumvent, become one people, that in itself is a threat to the covenant promises of God. And uh, like that, like Israel will be swallowed up in that sense into the Shechemites. And there will be no tribe of Israel, uh, tribes of Israel as such from which the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, will eventually come. But they'll be kind of disappear. That itself was a threat and in some ways, what Simeon and Levi do, even though it's sinful and wrong, at least they did something. At least they did something. We have other examples in the uh, Old Testament also of things that people do and 
uh, we, hor- horrible things, but also then God uses people, even, even though God judges them because of their sin and different things. Okay, someone did wrong, but uh, God also uses them for His purposes, and I believe that's part of it. In some ways, in God's providence, He uses Simeon and Levi to protect uh, Israel as a nation, but Simeon and Levi also cursed because of it. We see that later. But, okay, Simeon and Levi go, and very likely, so it's only their men, names are mentioned, so it seems the other brothers weren't as active in this part, but it's may, most likely Simeon and Levi had some of their servants or others with them. But they go with their swords, and these men are sore, laying, uh, uh, again, uh, the men of the city, and they go house by house, and cold-blooded, they, they murder these men. How many days were it, but whatever, 400, 500 more, I don't know. But they kill all the males. And then they kill Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword. And then they take Dinah, who's there in their house. They take Dinah and they leave. And they leave all the men dead. And then the sons of Jacob, so the other brothers, it seems, they come upon the slain. All the men are dead. They come and then they plunder the city, and so they take all the, all the riches, everything they can, and also the little ones, so the children and the wives whom they leave alive, uh, but they kill all the men. And they all obviously did do this because they had defiled their sister, and they took the animals and everything and, and plundered them. Simeon and Levi are judged uh, because of this. Later, let me just briefly mention this here in Genesis 49. So then later in the life of Jacob, as Jacob gives his kind of final blessing to his 12 sons, what do Simeon and Levi get to hear? Let me just read it to you briefly. Simeon and Levi, so Genesis 49, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. And in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. And I, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And then after that comes Judah and the promise that from Judah will come the Messiah and such. Uh, But notice here, Simeon and Levi are cursed. Not only Jacob, but God through Jacob. Jacob with all his faults and and, and failures and everything, he's still the one who God is using and he's the, the, uh, the one through whom the covenant continues and so forth and these blessings to his, his sons. But they are cursed. So what they did is inexcusable. But at the same time, I think what should be, as we read these things, as you read the book of Genesis and you read it with thought, there's things this God desires for us to, He doesn't spell things out just like, and notice this was wrong. If, you, if any of you, you read a good book, it's a fictional story even, stuff like that. If it's like too much in your face all the time, like a story, and notice that what he did was wrong, and notice what she did was good, and I'm like, it's like, that's not a good story. I want to read the actual history, and I want to, the, the story, if I, like, I see what they did was wrong, and I see the results of that, and the story itself is the warning. 
And that's what God does also to us. He expects us to see and see all the stuff that came from Jacob's deception. You want to have a life like Jacob with all his marriage problems, his problems with his children? Okay, you go and deceive like him. Yes, God is faithful and he used him. But, oh man, the heartache of this man, Jacob. Let's learn from their mistakes, just like we read in that psalm uh, earlier. Well, this is what they do. Verse 30, then give, 30 and 31 gives us the conclusion to this, uh, what, what happens. Jacob is back on the scene. Again, no mention of Jacob for a while. It seems he left the room while the sons of Jacob was making the deal, or even before the deal he made with Hamor and Shechem. He abdicated his leadership and he didn't, he's just gone on. And it seems he doesn't know anything about what plan they made. He doesn't know that they've gone and done this. But then he knows when they come back, the sons of Jacob come with all this plunder, probably literally blood on their hands. And says, what have you done? Well, maybe someone told, what have you done? And then he realizes what has happened. Then Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, but notice what Jacob says and what he doesn't say. Jacob says, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, the parasites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. There's a point to what Jacob is saying, for sure, of course. He's saying, like, you basic Simeon Levi, what you've done is you put not only, you, you put us all into danger. We could all be wiped out now because of what you did. This is not right what you did. This was uh, way, way, way too much of a uh, revenge in that sense. You've done something that's, like, even the pagans will recognize, like, this is not, this is not what you do. This is... Way overboard. Massacre a whole city because of uh, this one action, which was evil and wrong, but it's, it's not proportionally right. It's not right. So yeah, he has a point. You put us all in danger, but at the same time, really? And he, doesn't he have anything... Uh, Still no mention of what happened to Dinah. And notice, uh, like, like the whole thing of like, well, what was your plan, Jacob? What was your, you're the one who seems to have left the leadership to us, and this is what we did. Notice what Simeon and Levi respond. They say, oh, they, they, it's okay, you got a point. Yes, they might come and fight against us, and we might be in danger. But they say, verse 31, but they said to Jacob, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Notice, no reply from Jacob. Crickets. Crickets meaning silence. Because Jacob has no response. Jacob knows 
that basically what they're saying is like, you know, you know what happened. And in a roundabout way, what they're saying is at least we did something. Jacob, what was your plan? Where was your leadership? Yes, you come and condemn what we did, but at least we did something. It seems from your point of view, you were fine with letting this happen. You were just too concerned about this. Yes, you have love for your daughter, your old children, but you still had wrong priorities. And it seems like you didn't really care that he treated our sister like a prostitute. And Jacob does not respond. Because he has no response. And this question is left hanging in the air. And that's where the whole situation with Dinah and Simeon and Levi ends. Apart from then that, you know, it's obviously they mentioned there in the, the curse for uh, that their violence, their anger and so forth. So the two things, two major things to learn from this that I believe God wants us to learn. First of all, we need to know about the reality of the wickedness and and horrendous things. And even our children at some point need to learn about evil and wicked actions that happen in the scriptures or then even in, in other books and such. It's, it's not good for, it's not biblical and right and a Christian thing to have your whole life in some kind of bubble wrap, you know, until you're 18 and you've never, you know, read parts of the Old Testament. You're like, what on earth happened there? No, the best place for children to learn them is also then from loving parents who then help them teach them see see why this is wrong and see how this is evil and we should not do that. And we definitely as adults need to learn that. The whole Bible has been given to us. The whole Bible. Not just parts of it. And even the wicked, evil things are warnings for us. Warnings for us. And then the big thing here as I, as I believe that behind the lines, even though it's not mentioned as such, but when you read it with thought and think about Jacob's life and Jacob's parenting, his example is like, no wonder his family is in such a mess. And it is quite understandable how Simeon and Levi acted the way they did. Yeah, they, yeah, they took it to a whole simple level, but... A big part of provoking their anger was the passivity and the deceptive nature of their own father and their preference and, and uh, his preference for children. Different, so they prefer preferring Joseph, Rachel over the others and all this. And this causes havoc. And it will continue to cause havoc as we continue to look at the life of Jacob. And as... As we've seen here, his brothers, this is the last kind of thought I had there. I, I know I'm running late already with my sermon, but I want to say this. Every, every man or every brother, uh, unless you've been just, your conscience has been completely seared and you have no emotions anymore almost at all, but there should be this righteous anger. If you're your sister's been mistreated, you'd be like this anger, like what are we going to do, you know? Uh, or, or a father who's uh, 
daughter or a child, someone's being mistreated. There's this righteous anger and it should swell up in a man. Or, and, think, and then think about a husband. Someone, like like uh, you do something to a, a husband who has a wife whom he loves and cares a faithful husband. Someone does something to that wife and you'll have like, you know, you, you, you'll have a husband coming, coming after you in that sense. And like a husband who is in that situation might do things that you might you know, never, never think to go and revenge or, or to, to protect his wife or, or family and such. Then think about the fact that the church is called the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, the body of believers. Not the church building, Christians. And then think when people, you know, remember when, when Saul, who later became then Paul, Paul, Saul was persecuting Christians. He was putting them in jail, uh, mistreating them and putting them in jail and so forth. And Jesus shows up to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, uh, Saul, Saul why do you persecute me? It's like you, you go against my bride, the church, the believers, you go against me. So how much like anger there is from a man protecting his uh, sister or a father, a daughter, or a, fa- a husband, a wife. But the anger and the hatred, uh, righteous hatred and the judgment that people will pay before God, those who will mistreat his bride and the church. That is something for us as the believers that, whoa, Jesus loves me and he cares for me. And even if I suffer persecution or whatever it might be, you know, there will be a time when time of reckoning. He will, he will judge. And I would be much more afraid to be one who go, does mistreats the church of the Lord Jesus Christ somehow because I don't want Jesus to be against uh, me. He loves his bride. He loves his own. And he has righteous anger against anyone who would come against him. He is the descendant of Jacob, the one, the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are God. You have made us. You've created us in your image, men and women, and we've rebelled. We've rebelled as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. In so many ways, humanity has sinned, lied, deceived, murdered, And even though we might not have done these kind of outward wicked things, Lord, we know that our sins are many. Our sins of things that we should have done that we haven't done, sins of passivity or things that we should not have done and we have done, whether in thought, word or deed. Lord, please forgive us our sins and help us to be daily constantly turning to you turning to you, confessing our sins to you, trusting that the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, our perfect prophet, priest and king, God himself, who came 2,000 years ago as man, our Savior who lived a perfect life, the descendant of Jacob, who was not like deceiving Jacob, but was only that which is pure and right. And he also had holy anger against evil and injustice. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church, which is his bride. 
And we thank you that he takes care of his own. He takes care of us. And whatever difficulty we might face as believers even, and, and people do, uh, believers even in this w- world still today, uh, very, this very day in different parts of the world are mistreated and persecuted and physically harmed because they are Christians, because they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a fearful thing for those men or women who would mistreat those who are believers, that they will have the Lord Jesus Christ to answer to for their wicked deeds. Lord, we thank you that in Christ we have forgiveness. Help us to learn from these warnings. Help us not to be like them. Help the fathers, help us who are fathers to be faithful, to be active, not to be passive and give up our responsibility, but use it rightly and lead our families according to the best of our ability. Please forgive us our negligence and sin. Help us to do better. Help us to learn from the warning of Jacob and Jacob's family. Lord, these things we ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.